How can you deliver more value, drive more revenue, and differentiate your practice with an overlooked product design that is a perfect fit for your existing book? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of Shift Shapers is sponsored by MyEdge, the premier provider of Form 5500 prospecting solutions for benefit advisors. Local, regional, and national advisors rely on this affordable, easy-to-use, real-time search engine to find their target prospects. For more information, visit our website at www.shiftshapersonline.com. We're excited to be able to speak with Bob Treader today. Bob is the director of the Guaranteed Standard Issue DI program at Emeritus, and we're doing something a little unusual. We don't usually do in-studio interviews here at the studios at Chaos Manor, but Bob's been visiting with us, and we took the opportunity to sit down and, and chat with him a little bit about the DI marketplace and Guaranteed Standard Issue DI in particular. Good morning, Bob. morning, David. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, it's our pleasure. Let's start with a little bit about your background. Okay. I guess I'd consider myself uh, an old DI professional. Started many, many, many years ago with a company called Monarch Life in disability income. Did that for a couple of years. Had a chance to go to another company and work on their DI program called Woodman of the World. We did that for a while. Eventually, we went to Berkshire Life, ran their DI program um, for about five, six years. Then I kind of took a break from DI, thinking there might be something else in the in the world that I'd like to do. So I started working more for uh, for brokers and got on that side of the fence, you know, versus the carrier side of the fence. Did that for a few years and then had an opportunity to come back into individual DI. And here I'm back where I have started and I love it. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about individual DI before we do a deeper dive into guarantee standard issue and, and talk about that and the opportunities that exist there. Um, as listeners know, I'm an old DI dork, and so I enjoy these conversations maybe more than I should. <laughs> but where is the DI market today? I know that there's always been a great opportunity there, and benefit advisors haven't always embraced that. Where's the market at today? Is it more penetrated, less penetrated, about the same? I'd say it's about the same. In the old days, if you remember, in the old days, everybody went after the, the medical professionals and the dentists, and uh, that hasn't changed. There's still a pretty heavy saturation of disability income in those markets. But boy, the professionals, uh, many other occupations are still vastly underpenetrated for, for disability income. So the, the market's still very viable. And has the need from the consumer side of the equation, has the need increased, decreased? I don't think the needs ever decreased. If you get sick or hurt and can't go to work, there's only one product that I know of that's going to pay you an income while you're recuperating and trying to get back to work, and that's disability income. So the need for that product, I don't think it's waned at all in the last few years. The last stats that I heard in terms of market penetration was that DI is really only penetrating about a third of the available market. Is that is that kind of your understanding yes. still today? Yes. Yeah, that's very accurate. So would you say there's a great opportunity for benefit advisors who are looking to diversify their practices? Oh, an incredible opportunity because disability income is one of those products that I don't think a lot of people really think they need or don't really know much about until somebody talks to them about it. In other words, it's not a product that's bought. It's a product that has to be sold to you. You know, you just don't wake up in the morning and say, oh my gosh, I, I think I need disability income today. No, you don't. 
in my mind, yeah, I think it's one of those products that there's a great market for it because people still need it. And if it's a product that needs to be sold, and I'm someone, I'm a benefit advisor who's never been in the marketplace before, how do I go about learning about the product and educating myself so that I can add it to my portfolio? There's many places. I think there's many places to go to learn about disability income, the, the need for it, or what it can do. Uh, there's a couple of websites. One, the Council for Disability Awareness is one, does a terrific job. And actually, their website is disabilitycanhappen.org. Terrific website that if somebody wanted to go to just to get a general knowledge about disability income, boy, that'd be the first place I'd send them. Are there GAs, like in the old days, if you wanted to be educated in the old days, I sound like I'm a thousand <laughs> years old, but yeah, I guess I am. No. In the old days, if you wanted to get educated, there were GAs that you knew had specialty expertise in DI. Those folks still exist? They exist, but they're harder to find. I think uh, they just harder to find them. But those people are there. And you can find people that run DI centers, companies that call themselves you know, DI, DI resources, DI specialists. You can find those people. Again, back in the day, I mean, RHU and REBC, I mean, those had some disability component in it. AHIP's got designation. Are, are there educational opportunities outside of, of going the GA route? You mentioned those, which is certainly viable. There's also a, a designation now called the Group Benefit Disability Specialist, GBDS. You can get that. Uh, I think more and more organizations are looking towards disability income and are offering designations. But no, there's no DI designation that really uh, equates to a CLU or CHFC or RHU yet. So it, the best advice is to take advantage of those courses if you can, but also maybe to find a, a GA relationship where somebody's got or a DI center where they've got expertise in the product and can help train you. Oh, absolutely. Because what you're going to find with those people is they're DI geeks like me and you. And uh, they just love disability and they love to talk about it. It's kind of unique. In, in the disability world, the, the, the people that specialize in disability, I really believe that they feel that they're doing something very, very special. And they love to talk about it. So when you find somebody that specializes in disability, I'd latch on and ask questions and, and be ready to learn. Now, one of the one of the bad reps that that DI has, and I guess in some cases it's deserved, but it maybe comes down to people not really understanding the risk and how to complete an application for a DI underwriter, which is different than a life underwriter or any other kind of underwriter, is that underwriting is a bear, that it takes forever, that you have to underwrite both finance and health um, and risk of the uh, of the applicant. Is that still a problem? And what are ways that maybe folks can deal with that effectively? Absolutely still a problem. On the financial side, you do have people that make money, but then sometimes they will uh, craft their taxes in such a way that they're showing no income. Those people will always get surprised when, when they're told they can't get a disability income policy, and they say, but I make a certain amount of money. But what disability income is trying to ensure is, is actually take-home income. And so I think there's, you know, from the financial standpoint, there's certainly some problems. But really, on the medical side, you have... Conditions that in the past used to kill you, and now they just disable you. So you have quite a few things that are going to cause you to miss work, to not be able to get up and go to work. You're not going to die from them. You're going to miss work, and you're not going to get a paycheck. And so in that regard, I think it, it is, you know, David, when you think about it, and I tell people this, you know, if you, if you applied for a million-dollar life insurance policy, you'd have to take quite a few, uh, you'd have to take, you know, do blood work, labs. There'd be a lot of, a lot of underwriting requirements. And people say, well, why do I need to do something like that for disability? I'm only getting a $5,000 a month policy. And I say, well, here, well, here's the thing. You're getting a $5,000 a month policy, but you're 35 years old. If something happened to you tomorrow, 
after buying this policy and you could never go back to work again, you're talking 5000 a month, that's 60000 a year, times 30 years, that's just under $2 million. So you shouldn't be surprised when the DI people want quite a lot of information about your medical background because they're insuring a risk. By the way, they're also insuring a risk that they have to set aside reserve for for many, many, many years. So a company has to be very careful about who they're you know, who they're insuring for their disability income policy. And that's a great point. I mean, I, I think a lot of times benefit advisors, producers, if you prefer, don't always take that long-term view. They look at just the monthly benefit because right. that's how you sell the product. You know, when you're talking to a prospect, you're talking about monthly benefit, not lifetime income. It's also something that's a, a good clue for folks who want to get into the business is to talk about that lifetime amount because it's much more compelling as mm. an argument if you're talking to a prospect, isn't it? Absolutely. And the other thing they should talk about is, not that it's rare, not like it's, like it's Haley's Comet or something like that, but people think it's so rare to get a disability policy that's completely free of any kind of exclusions or, or riders or ratings. And then what I tell people is, you know, you may have a condition that the company decides they just don't want to insure. Okay, so they don't cover your left knee, but they're covering every other part of your body. So when people say, well, I don't want to take that policy because you're not covering this condition, I say, but there's a multitude of other conditions that it is covering. So I think you always have to take that into consideration too, because well, one thing that, a, that a, a benefits advisor or producer will find is that many times a disability income policy will come back with something different than what they thought it was going to come back, you know, i.e. a rating or a rider on a, on a condition or, or a part of the body. Well, and that's important, especially it brings to the fore the importance of something we don't talk about an awful lot anymore, which is field underwriting. Mm-hmm. And how if you're careful in taking an app and you're careful in knowing your client's history, you can set the expectations appropriately that, you know, hey, uh, there may be an exclusion here. There may be coming. We may come back with an offer that isn't as applied for. Correct. I always tell benefit advisors, producers to write a long cover letter. You know, the underwriter, believe it or not, is your friend. They're trying to write the policy. They want to find a way to write it. So as a field underwriter, I think your responsibility is to paint the picture as best you can of the risk that's involved. And because the underwriter is not looking at the person, they're looking at a piece of paper with a lot of words on it. So to write some kind of cover letter that explains exactly what you're dealing with. And, and you know, maybe the person missed work five years ago for a certain condition, but they're completely over that now. Well, you need to put that in, in a cover letter because guess what? The underwriters are going to be accessing medical records from doctors and, and certainly other places. And the one thing underwriters get very cautious about is when something pops up on a medical report that was not disclosed on an application. And now a word from our sponsor, MyEdge, the premier provider of Form 5500 prospecting solutions for benefit advisors. Do you want to find prospects in your area without having to make cold calls, but with a warm introduction from a network relationship or the prospect's accounting firm? How about finding companies that are out of compliance on their Form 5500 filing? What if you could find prospects that are paying more than standard compensation for their products and services? MyEdge makes it easy to create a pipeline of only qualified leads, and you'll set yourself apart from the crowd when you know how to build a targeted value-add strategy for companies you want to work with. Clients and prospects always appreciate it when their benefit advisors take the time to understand their employee benefits before they meet. Don't act and sound like everyone else. Use MyEdge and get the ultimate unfair advantage. To learn more about this innovative prospecting solution, visit our website at www.shiftshapersonline.com. 
now that we've talked about the horrors of underwriting <laughs> and we've scared the pants off of anybody who might want to get into this field, let's talk, let's, let's transition to talking about guaranteed standard issue because that does ameliorate some of those problems. So from a 10,000 foot level, what is guaranteed standard issue? I mean, I, everybody understands what the words mean, but what does it mean in practicality? Well, in practicality, what I, what I tell people is GSI or guaranteed standard issue is a terrific way to go to a group of employees because, again, you're looking at, at the law of, of numbers, going to a group of employees and offering an individual DI product to that group of employees. But because it's not a single one by one, because it's, it's a group of employees, they're going to get very simplified underwriting. Normally, they just have to answer a couple of what they call gatekeeper questions. And one of those questions is always, in the last six months, have you missed work? Have you missed work for any reason due to a sickness or an injury? Or have you, you know, so... That's virtually the underwriting that gets done. So I tell people, GSI, very simplified underwriting, but also very it, it, because you're talking multitude of policies within one group or one situation, sometimes there can be some very heavy discounts and unisex rates. Um, so the, the GSI market is still a unisex rate market. So you have, a, you have simplified underwriting. You have sometimes very deep discounts that you're not going to get on an individual basis. And, and unisex rates, which, um, you know, depending on whether you're male or female, will, will, will be a better or I shouldn't say a worse deal for you because the discounts are always going to bring that premium to less than what you would be paying if you tried to apply on an individual basis. And for those folks who aren't DI dorks, unisex rates are important because the, the rates for females to, to get disability coverage are significantly higher than the rates for males. Yes, they are. Up until probably about age 55 or 60, then they start evening out. But it's just a proven fact that, that women have more disabling conditions, and, and the biggest one being pregnancy. You know, pregnancy is obviously, it's not a disability, but there are complications that arise from pregnancy that, that seem to obviously drive the, and they call it morbidity, not mortality, but the morbidity rates for, for females are much higher than males. So an awful lot of our audience, a lot of our listeners are folks who are benefits advisors, and mm-hmm. an awful lot of that cohort, a lot of those folks work in the group market, whether it's small group mm-hmm. or midsize or even some large group folks. How many people do you need in order to start setting up a guaranteed standard issue case? And part two of the question is, what changes as you get into larger numbers of people? Well, here's the thing. Ten years ago, the minimum number from all the carriers was 15. And by the way, David, there's only about mm, seven, eight, nine carriers that are in the GSI market. About 10 years ago, there were, you needed 15, a minimum of 15 people to qualify for a guaranteed standard issue program. Now it's down to five. Most There's many carriers that will just look at five employees. So that's, that's been liberalized for in the last 10 years. So you need five, five people. And as you get into larger groups of people, mm-hmm. do the discounts increase? Do the guaranteed standard issue amounts increase? I mean, what's, what's the difference between a group of five and, say, a group of 15 or 20? Well, it depends on the carrier. Um, uh, some carriers will start to discount at 10 or 15% for that group of five and will eventually end up for up to a discount of 30 or 35% when the group gets to maybe be 100 or 150. And so there's certain parameters. It'll go from 15% to 20 to 25 to 30 based on number of employees. In your example, probably at 20 employees, the discount may go to 20%. And at 50 employees, it may go to 25%. And, and at 100 employees, you may get a 30% discount. So going back to those unisex rates, you have a female that's going to get a better rate than she would have gotten had she come on an individual basis because that unisex rate is a blended male-female rate. And because her rates would normally have been higher, she's going to get a break there. And then you start looking at it anywhere from a 15 to 30% discount. And as I tell women professionals, 
there's a good chance you can get an individual DI policy virtually for half of what you would have paid for it had you come on an individual basis. Let's touch on that a minute because you just said something that I think is a very important differentiator. These are individual contracts. Absolutely. That's one of the questions I get, which is, well, is this a group product? Is this group LTD? And the answer is no. For most carriers that I know of, it's the same individual DI product that you would get if you came and applied on an individual basis. So it's an individual DI policy, which has uniqueness all its own. It's portable, that once the premiums are set, they're set. They can't be raised. They can't be terminated like they could be with Group LTD. So yeah, that's a that's a really important point. You're getting probably the best contract that that carrier has, that best individual contract, but because you're buying it in a group situation, you're going to get some perks. You're going to get simplified underwriting and you're going to get discounts. Are there options as to who pays the premium? Is, it, is, is there an option for the employer paying the premium, the individual paying, the employee paying the premium, or a blend? It could be a blend. Normally, when we talked about going down to five lives, normally that's for employer pay. In the industry, the voluntary or employee pay doesn't really kick in until you get 10 lives. And normally there's a participation requirement. What, what I normally see is 25%. So if you, if you had 10 employees, all 10 would need to get it on a voluntary basis. But once you get up to a certain level, the carrier is looking for maybe a 25% participation. But this is what I think is really a, a great thing about, about the GSI program. You may have a client, uh, let's call it a manufacturing firm, and they have seven people in their front office running the company, and you may have 50 people in, in the back doing work on the assembly line, whatever it is. Well, heck, you can go in and carve out those seven executive people, and they can, you know, and maybe the employer would pay for that because they're the executives of the company. So you could get an employer paid piece on the, on those seven. And then the 50 on the back, you can go back there and offer the GSI program to them on a voluntary basis. So the, those employees may have to pay for it themselves. So there's different ways to do it. I've seen employers pay for everything. I've seen employers pay for nothing. It just depends on, on what the employer wants to do. And there are differences in the tax implications too, depending on who pays for it. Sure. Um, just like everything else, when, when the employer pays you a premium, that benefit is a taxable benefit. When you pay the premium, then the benefit is tax-free. In the minute or so that we have left, where do you see the DI industry going? Do you think that, um, and now, now there's a large group of brokers who are moving from more product plays to more value plays and rearranging their agencies and bringing in additional products so that they can drive value to their clients. Do you see the market becoming more penetrated? Do you see more benefit advisors starting to have an interest in DI and guaranteed standard issue and all of the ancillary DI products? In the last few years, especially with the advent of the Affordable Care Act, I've seen more and more health insurance producers, those that are out there selling the medical plans to companies, uh, looking for ways to drive revenue from different areas. So I think there's a value proposition there. And when you think about it, you, you may have, if you're selling to a client, to a group of people, you have the health insurance, but you and I have been doing this a long time, and we know that the more products a benefits advisor has within one client, the much harder it is for that client to change and, and, and go to another benefits advisor. I really call it like a trusted advisor. You, you want to be more than just a, a broker or a seller. You want to be a trusted advisor. And to me, that means when you're talking to your clients, which happens to be a group, you're taking care of a lot of their needs, but disability income is a big need. Again, most people don't understand if they get sick or hurt and can't go to work that they're not going to have any income coming in to pay their bills. And so to me, the value proposition is you're taking care of everything. You're not leaving a risk on the table. That, to me, that's so important. When you're working with your clients, don't 
leave risks on the table. Don't walk away and say, well, geez, I hope he doesn't get disabled because you know he doesn't have a disability plan. Offer the plan. Sh- show that client why it's important for them to have a product that would pay them in the event that they got sick or hurt and couldn't go to work. To me, that's the biggest value. It's just, as people say, when somebody goes down and is out in the hospital bed and they're out of work, everybody else is coming and they're all concerned and, boy, what are you going to do? Well, wouldn't it be nice when that Benefits advisor walks in and says, well, hey, guess what? I put in your claim and your, your first check's going to be mailed to you in a couple of weeks. That's good stuff. Really good stuff. It's great stuff. And it's a great place to leave our interview today. Bob Treader, Director of the Guarantee Standard Issued DI Program with Emeritus. Bob, thanks for spending time with the Shift Shapers audience. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. I, I, I love listening to your podcast and uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. It's very kind. Thank you. For more information about this episode or about any of our earlier episodes and to learn how to subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode, go to our website, shiftshapersonline.com. While you're on the site, leave a comment and register to be part of the Shapers community. You'll be the first to learn about upcoming specials like exclusive webinars and content you can use to take your business to the next level. Again, thanks for joining us for today's episode and remember, You have the power to shape the shifts in your business.